ominous. <laughs> Welcome to church. My name is Pastor Jeff Kennedy, and I'm the executive pastor of adult ministries and discipleship around here. If you have your Bible, please open to Acts chapter 27. We're in part two of this little mini-series that Matt and I are doing called uh, Shipwrecked. And today's message, the title of today's message is Praying for Daylight, How to Make It When All Hell is Breaking Loose in Your Life. I am going to read my introduction the way I wrote it. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. I watched as my father screamed his pain into the sky from his bones, from his depths. I could see him rocking my baby sister in his arms. I knew it was her, but after the accident, she was unrecognizable. I could hear dad pleading for God to give her back. He and mama begged God not to take her. If sorrow had power, she would wake up. She would come back. I waited. She didn't. I was eight years old, sitting by the edge of the highway in front of our house in rural Virginia. It was a blistering summer day. It was the kind of day that was so hot, it just seemed to slow everything down and siphon your energy right out of you. I was flipping bottle caps into the ditch by the road, and as usual, I was lost in thought, always lost in thought. And I could see up the driveway my sister, Cherie. She was not quite two years old, and she was behind the storm door, and she was waving and smiling at me. I waved and smiled back. As a kid, I longed for solitude. Couldn't wait for it. I sought it out. I stalked it. I took every opportunity to disappear into the woods or down by the pond or anywhere else I could find a lonely patch of earth. And someone would always find me, usually my mom or my brother or a friend, and they would find me deep in a meditative state, reflecting on my passions, life, eternity, comic books, and kung fu. <laughs> I wasn't particularly bright. But as far as eight-year-old little boys go, I was exceedingly thought-burdened, as you might imagine. When I went into one of these alternate states of concentration, whatever was said to me wasn't heard. Poor Pastor Kurt has to deal with me now as an adult like that. I suppose that's why I got into so much trouble. I would say my parents' instruction went in one ear and out the other, but to be honest with you, it never got past the first year. I just couldn't hear it over the busyness going on in my head. And at times, my father would shout at me as if he were trying to talk over a jackhammer. But who could compete with the noise of my thoughts? If only I could modulate them, turn them down. And that's why I couldn't hear my 22-month-old sister walk right behind me in thick gravel into the highway that day. And I remember what I was thinking in those exact moments leading up to it. I was looking up into the sky and I was thinking, how is God going to let me into heaven when he knows full well all the bad things that I have been doing? I was thinking, there must be a God because this is a perfect summer day. I was looking at clouds and I was trying to ponder. I was wondering why clouds look like stuff. I was thinking about becoming the world's greatest ninja master. 
I was worried about that because my Southern Baptist pastor had told me that ninja masters will not be caught up in the pre-tribulational rapture. So I was very concerned, very, trying to figure that one out. And suddenly, a car passed me on the right, on the highway, and jilted me out of my thought trance. And as long as I live, I will never forget the sound of it. As long as I have breath, the memory of it will always leave me breathless. My sister had wandered out of the screen door into the road that morning, that day, and in a flash, little Cherie was gone. The unbearable finality of it. Well, the sun might as well have gone supernova or ceased to be a main sequence star. Within minutes, our family is thrust into darkness. For months, for years, we, are, we become subjects to the rule of grief. Our pleading and thrashing becomes a num numbing monotony. We go on living, but what kind of life will we have after such an unspeakable event? Try as we might to get on with the business of life, it is just a business and that is all. There is not much life left in it. And when tempted to smile, when tempted to laugh at a joke, or to enjoy a gift at Christmas, we are reminded that we are here and she is not. We are alive and she is gone. And her absence makes our presence a burdensome thing. We live but barely. We try to move forward, but our first steps are like the toddlers. They are tentative, deliberate, unsure. We feel the weight of the stares of pity. We can feel them. We excuse all the looks and glances of, oh, thank God that wasn't me. We understand, we really do. And our family will be shipwrecked. We will be ruined castaways, casualties of this tragedy were it not for salvation. And that salvation comes to us in the form of my mother's unalterable faith in Jesus. Unlike the rest of us, she is the mommy. Her loss is intimate and ontological. It is a kind of loss of the very self. It is her image that has been wrenched from this life. It is her flesh, the child that she had carried and nurtured and born and adored that is taken. And how will she now do ordinary things? Waking up brings her into a day filled with a thousand stabbing thoughts. How will she get two boys ready for school, make lunches? Go off to a job, make dinner, help with homework. Once automatic tasks, once the instinctive reflexes of motherhood, daily routines become a trudging and a slogging and a laboring under the heft and the load of profound, profound loss. Simple tasks are now deliberate acts of the will because every function, including breathing, is an imposition to overwhelming grief. And it is a grief she has a right to. No one's darkness is as dark as hers. No one's right to mourn is a priority over hers. Yet she does breathe. She does make others her priority. She gets up and she faces the darkness. And when boys are bathed and in bed, and the husband retreats into drink, she dreams of the daylight. Her faith has told her that this is not the end of her. She knows this, but the darkness seems so endless. She knows the light will come, but for now she must hold on in the pitch blackness of her loss and her suffering. And she must ignore arms 
empty arms that once rocked. And she must box away empty blankets that once swaddled and cute dresses and sleeping cradles for now. You see, our family made it through this tragedy because of my mother's faith in Jesus. And it was a young faith and an imperfect faith. It was being perfected in the cauldron of trials and suffering. It was a young faith that is now a strong, mature, and now in her 60s is a saintly faith, having been tempered and hammered and folded like steel. It is a faith that prays for daylight when all hell is breaking loose in our lives. And that, my friends, is the faith that I want to share with you today. It is a strong, immovable, galvanized faith. And it's the faith that God wants for us. My favorite passage in this story, we read it last week, Matthew read it to us, of this shipwreck that Paul is going through. He is right in the middle of a storm, a literal storm, and a literal breaking apart of his ship. And here's what it says in Acts 27, 29. It says, I love this verse, fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and they prayed for daylight. Underline that. Don't you hear the desperation in that sentence? The desperation of just holding on in the middle of it and waiting for light to come, waiting for hope to be born. So the question today on the table, my friends, is this. What do you do when darkness comes? How do you hold on? How do you make it through? How do you survive the darkness while you wait for God's salvation in his light, the light of his salvation to come? Let's recap the story really quickly. How did we get here? How did Paul get here? The end of Acts chapter 26, Herod says this to Paul in Paul's trial before Herod down in Jerusalem. He says, Paul, you, you would be released if you hadn't appealed to Caesar. <laughs> Paul wants to go be tried before Caesar. This is his manifest destiny. God has called him to do it. And so Paul is on his way to Caesar. He has appealed. He wants to preach the gospel for the king of the world. And he wants to tell the king of the world, actually, your kingdom is a sham. There is a risen king of the world. His name is Jesus. And this is what he will do, God willing. So he and Luke are arrested. His traveling companion, Luke, they are arrested. Luke is the chronicler. They get on a ship and they have an itinerary. And they are faced with gale force winds, hurricane force winds that begin to break their ship apart. And so there is a loss of cargo. The ship runs aground. It is weather beaten and destroyed. They have to float on sh to shore on busted pieces of the ship. So I want to look at this story really quickly and look at some principles in the story that will help us to make it until day comes. Number one, if you're taking notes, expect changes in your itinerary. The storms are coming. Jesus never promised us a clean, unimpeded path to happiness and victory, did he? He said, the trials of the world will come, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In fact, we have solid evidence of this in the Gospels where Jesus himself sent the disciples. He put them in a boat, pushed them off, and said, okay, go to the other side of the lake. I'm going to go pray. And so the disciples, while they are on their way to the other side of the lake, 
They are right in the middle of it, and a squall, a storm, a furious storm comes upon them and threatens to capsize their ship. This is a boat full of very experienced mariners. These guys know how to handle a boat. And they are holding on to the sides of it with white knuckles because they are desperately afraid that it's going to capsize and kill them all. That's the end of the Messiah's plan. He'll have to get a new 12 disciples, I suppose. And then suddenly Jesus comes walking out to them. And I love the story, but a lot of people miss it when they study it. They miss that, that right at the beginning of it, Jesus says, get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. They're there. They're in that predicament and in that dilemma because Jesus has sent them there. Suffering and trials are the lot of all men. And generally, God does want to give us an easier time at things. He really, this really is his heart. Listen, God doesn't want you to just experience an endless series of train wrecks in your life. Nobody's life could be lived that way. If it, if it were, then you would collapse under the weight of it. You couldn't live. Now, once in a while, we do meet someone who is a wide and soft target for calamity, right? Yeah, you're all laughing because you know you have a picture in your mind of who I'm talking about. Someone in your life that seems like everything, every time we turn around, something's going wrong with them. But typically, usually, this is not the case. God wants to make your path straight. That's how the Old Testament poet put it. But by the same token, if all we ever knew was an endless chain of delightful experiences lived out on the corner of Easy Street, my friend, you and I would become spoilt little terrors. There are times... When unexpected changes to our plans, we want to go straight to Italy. We want to go straight to our destiny. We want to go straight to God's plan for our life. But right in the middle of it, all hell breaks loose. And why does that happen? Why does God let that stuff into our lives? Here it is. You can share this. It's because soft winds make soft Christians. Light winds make light Christ followers. And God wants us to be people of depth strength, a powerful faith that we can give away and heal others with. That's why. So the message from this story is you better batten down the hatches, brace yourself, hold on and prepare for a holy wrecking. Because at some point, my friends, if it hasn't already, suffering and loss is coming to your doorstep. And how will you handle it without Jesus? How will you? God hasn't taken his eyes off you. And don't begin to blame yourself. Don't descend into self-blame. Listen, you are in the middle of your predicament, and God, and it was no surprise that God knew that you would be there. And he hasn't taken his eyes off of you, not one minute, not one second. He knows exactly where you are. And he has his hand on you. Hardship is coming to a life near you. So you better buckle up. You better know who is in your corner when it hits because hopefully it's Jesus. Hopefully it's the Holy Spirit who's got you because he's got this. And so number two, when you're in the midst of it, number two, find the voice of encouragement. Man, I love this right in the middle of this story. Uh, 276 people on the ship, they are all losing their minds. They are losing it. And there is one guy, Paul and Luke, and his companion Luke, but Paul stands there and he is the voice of encouragement. 
He is the voice of encouragement. It says in verse 34, now he, he stands up and he says, guys, take some food, eat. You need to make it. You need to try and survive. And no one of you will lose a single hair from his head. Verse 35, after he said this, he took some bread, he ate it, he distributed it, he prayed, he gave thanks for it. And then verse 36, look at this. It says they were all encouraged. <laughs> I love that. 276 guys, people on this boat, and they were like, oh, thanks, Paul. We kind of needed that. Listen, God has to have somebody in this game who is listening to his voice. He has to have some man or some woman on the inside who is a clandestine agent of grace and encouragement. Let that be you. And if you don't have the strength for it to be you, then you find that person in your life. Find a voice of encouragement. And I think the church has a golden opportunity right now to both speak truth and encourage our sinking ship called America. Now, I don't think America is sinking, but I do think it's getting kind of rough. If you're a student of history, then you know that the American experience has now been hijacked by the relentless pursuit of the self. And it has come primarily by two worldviews that have taken over America. One is secularism, which is the belief that God is irrelevant to the daily realities, realities of life. The other one is postmodern gobbledygook. That's my official term for it. You can write that down. Probably won't find that in the dictionary. But that's not just the reje rejection of the existence of God. That's the rejection of absolute truth standards, God's truth and its relevance to our lives. Look, man, if you've been reading or watching the news, then you know the government cannot even function. They can't even do anything. Our academic institutions are imploding morally. Our entertainment industry has lost its mind, and somebody in this deal has to be the voice of truth. Somebody on this ship has to be the voice of encouragement and comfort and to tell these people, don't bail on God and his truth. Because when you do, you are going down, my friend. God needs some clandestine agents of change and grace. Some folks who are on the inside who will tell everybody what God has to say about this deal. And if we will just do what he says, we will make it, man. You believe that? And I know there's some of you, you are paralyzed by fear right now. You run businesses or you're in a business or you own a business. And look, the global unrest is coming to your town. And you're afraid. Some of you might have already lost some income due to it. I understand that fear. And I understand the paralyzing fear of having tried. Put yourself out there. You went for it. And you failed. You bit it. You had a dirt snack, right? I understand that. I've been there. And some of you divorcees, many of you, you put yourself out there. You were in a relationship, and you got absolutely wrecked and ruined from that, and you just don't know how you're going to start again. You don't know how you're going to do it. Listen, my counsel to you is don't listen to the voices, the prophets of discouragement, Find the prophet on the ship who has an ear to eternity and who will speak God's truth in your life and his comfort. 
Find someone who can lift your spirits, who can help you take one more step to live one more day, to try one more time. We've got an army of them in this church, actually. Did you know that when you fill out one of these communication cards, as Matthew told you to do, that it goes out, if you have a prayer request, it goes out to an army of people who lift you up in prayer every week. Kim Kyes leads that team. I can't see you guys, but where is she? She's right there. These people are warriors. They are prayer warriors. And so your needs get lifted up to God. Get some help. Paul said this. He said, the same resurrection power in Ephesians, he said, the same resurrection power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power is available to you and I now. Not just so God can stock your shelves. Not just so God can fill the pantry again. Yes, he knows your needs. He wants to do that. But it's so that God can give you the power to to hold on and be courageous in the face of agonizing delays. Because that's part of life. And you need to find someone who will mediate God's power to you through encouragement and truth. And so my, my encouragement to you is don't hoard your resources. Invest them in the kingdom. Don't be paralyzed by fear. Encourage others. Don't withhold your life from being a blessing to the life of others. Re-engage. Find some hope. Number three, what we see in this passage is we need to watch for a breakthrough. Man, this is my favorite verse. Acts 27, 39. I love this passage. It says this. When daylight finally came. Oh, that's such a freeing verse. We waited for it. It says right before that that it was so dark they didn't know whether it was day or night. They couldn't see the sun and they couldn't navigate by the stars. It was so bleak and so black. And so what did they do in that moment when daylight comes? Here it is. They made a break for it. They went for it. At the first crack of daylight, they scrambled and scurried trying to get to salvation. And there is going to come a time, a moment, when the night gives way to sunrise, when the morning fog burns off and God gives you one moment of clarity. Daybreak comes subtly at first, doesn't it? You ever watch the sunrise? Of course you all have. How does it come? It comes one particle of light at a time. And that's how your salvation comes. It comes one particle of hope at a time. And then suddenly that glowing, dazzling orb fills the horizon and washes away the night, doesn't it? And that is how God comes to your situation. And in that moment, you are going to feel a surprising uprise, a twinge of strength. And one tiny spark of hope somewhere deep down in there somewhere. And you're going to think of possibilities. Could I try again? Could I start again? Could I hope again? And so my message for you and the message from this book is this. Act on it. Move to rescue. Find salvation. Go to God and find him. Do whatever you have to do to get to the morning light. And as scripture says, they were exhausted. Land was in sight. They couldn't quite make it out. It was still a little bit obscure. But what they did is they pulled themselves up. They marshaled everything that was left in the tank and they summoned it and they got to that shore, man. And sometimes, my friend, when it's dark and when you're hurting and you're exhausted, that's just what you have to do. You just got to get to shore. You just got to pull up whatever's left in there and go. Reach out for salvation. Grab a hand of someone and ask them to pray for you. 
and to help you through it. I think you would all agree that the story in Acts 27 is kind of a thrashing, ugly win, isn't it? It's not pretty. I don't care if it's my team. A win is a win. I don't care if, they, if it's an ugly win or not. Some of you are rooting for the Seahawks today. That's, that's, that's how you feel. We don't care. We don't care if it's a pretty win or an ugly win. A win is a win. And in the kingdom of God and the economy of God, it's the same deal. Nobody ever said you had to have the perfect family. Maybe you tried your hardest to inculcate the values of Scripture into your little children. But guess what? Those little children are free moral agents. They can choose their own path. Nobody has ever had to, said that your life ever, ever had to be perfect. It doesn't. You are a recovering idiot. Join the club. Our pastor is the president of this club. <laughs> Apparently. The point here is that when it's time, move. Find hope. Get some rescue. I want to tell you the end of the story. The end of my mom's story because your condition is not your conclusion. My mother held on to hope in the midst of unbelievable darkness. She prayed for the light to come and God's salvation. She found hope and encouragement. She moved her family, literally pushed us toward rescue. And now when I watch my sweet little pumpkin, Carly Rose, climb up in my mama's lap, and cover her old face, just cover her face with kisses, man. I see this look in my mom's eyes, and you know what the look is? It is the reward of her, her hope. It is the reward of a life lived in faith, and now her life is more rich and more abundant. And let me tell you something. If you're going through pain and my mama knows about it, she is a powerful agent of God's healing, a powerful agent of God's healing, and she will touch you in a way that that you never have been before. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't give up on his people, on his family. Don't give up on his word. Don't give up on his promise for you that you're going to the other side of the lake, man. You're going to make it to Caesar. You're going to make it to your destiny. Your condition is not your conclusion. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I want to recap what we have learned from this story. It is hard to say don't be surprised when trials come because we always are, aren't we? We're caught off guard because they knock us off our balance. It's difficult for us to right ourselves when so much is pushing against us, isn't it? But we need to prepare. We need to brace ourselves because at some point we all face the darkness and we need to really do a heart check and ask ourselves, who is in our corner? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of our lives? Are we in his corner? And we need to be those kind of people, like Matt said last week, that turn our ear to eternity, who listen for God's truth and his encouragement and his comfort. Being God's man on the inside, listening to him while all hell is breaking loose around us. And we need to be strengthened Find strength. Find salvation. Let's pray. Bow your head. Close your eyes. A couple of people that I'm looking for a response from. The first group of you 
you just feel lost. Like the rest of us, you feel lost, but you feel like you don't have an anchor because you don't know Jesus. Like you don't know this Jesus and you haven't experienced his spirit and the comfort and encouragement of his spirit. You never have before, but you want to. You want him to meet you right at the intersection of your darkness and your need. Will you pray something like this with me? Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I ask that you would wash me clean right now. Forgive me of all of my sins. I confess Jesus as my Lord and the Savior of my life, and I put my trust in him as the risen Lord of the world. If you prayed that prayer, the Holy Spirit is moving on you right now. And your experience what the Bible calls being born again, being transformed by the inside out. So, some of you are believers. And your darkness isn't any less dark. Your pain isn't any less painful. But Jesus is in your corner. And man, today, you just need a reassurance of that. Will you just pray something with me like this? Father in heaven, I need you. I need you to come through. God, I'm holding on. And I'm in a dark place right now, but I know your salvation is coming. Will you give me strength? Will you give me someone? Help me to find the voice of encouragement. Right now, just ask God what it is you need from him. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, listen, we're going to worship one more time. If you don't know the words to this next song we're going to do, will you just very prayerfully reflect on the power of these words? What do you do after the aftermath? You hold on for daylight and you wait for God to come, and he will come. Will you do that as we sing? We're going to take the offering, give generously, and let's worship the Lord. Okay, a couple of things. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, inviting Jesus into your life, will you please go back on the, one of those back tables, find a new believer packet. It'll help you get started in your walk with Christ. Also, come forward today. Come tell somebody. We'll have some people who are here to pray with you, pray for you. And if you're dealing with a, a dark and bleak situation, our prayer team would love to pray with you today. Will you come forward and let us know? Also, communicate with us. Listen, go this week and pray for God's light. Pray for his salvation. One more thing. I want everybody in this room, this sermon will be online later. It'll be on our Facebook page. All of us know somebody who has been touched by grief. And if it's not you, will you please share this message with someone who is going through darkness? Will you share it with them? Commit to doing that? Okay, God bless you.